from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Our Old Testament lesson this morning, despite what it says in your bulletin, is actually from 1 Kings, chapter 19, verses 15 to 16 and 19 to 21. This is one of the lectionary texts for the morning. Hear now God's word. Then the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also, you shall anoint Yehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel-Maholah, as prophet in your place. Then we skip ahead to where Elijah goes to call Elisha. So Elijah set out from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, who was plowing. There were 12 yoke of oxen ahead of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle over Elisha. Elisha left the oxen, ran after Elijah, and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. Then Elijah said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? He returned from following him, took the yoke of oxen, and slaughtered them. Using the equipment from the oxen, he boiled their flesh and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then Elisha set out and followed Elijah and became his servant. Turning to the New Testament, our scripture reading is from Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 62. Hear again God's word. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But this man said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another man said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let us pray together. Oh God, as we hear again your old call, equip us to be disciples and send us out in faith with courage. 
Amen. This is our third week of our sermon, summer sermon series, that's a tongue twister, summer sermon series about how the prophetic word of God comes to us, often cutting through the noise of our time, the noise of voices of foolishness, the noise of commentators and news, the noise of our own busyness and fears. Today, that word that cuts through the noise is a call to follow Jesus a call to be disciples. That might seem trite or even redundant because we're here. We've come to worship this morning, trying to follow. But from these two stories about people who are called, we see that following Jesus is a commitment unlike any other. In our world, we negotiate everything. Just ask an eight-year-old. But discipleship is non-negotiable. It's a commitment of our whole lives all the time. Discipleship is a word that we use a lot around church, but we don't always get concrete about what we're talking about when we say discipleship. It can even sometimes feel like church insider lingo, like inside baseball because we know it has a theological connotation, but we don't use it so often in our everyday lives. So discipleship as an idea might be intimidating, but these scriptures give us a moment to get clear about what we're talking about when we say discipleship, following Jesus. Rowan Williams is a former Archbishop of Canterbury, and he has a wonderful little book called Being Disciples. And in it, he reminds us that discipleship, this notion of following Jesus, in its Greek means being a student. Now for us, being a student is or was, depending on how long ago, mostly about learning information. We listened and read and studied or crammed, and then we took tests to see how much we remembered or to see if we could apply what we learned to some job or vocation. But being a student of Jesus Christ is a different matter. It isn't showing up for class or taking good notes or getting good grades. Rowan Williams writes that what makes you a disciple is not turning up from time to time. Like, for example, turning up once a week or twice a week for a course or even a sermon. Being a disciple is not an intermittent state. It's a relationship that continues. Now, if you said to a modern student that the essence of being a student was to hang on your teacher's every word, to follow in his or her steps, to sleep outside his or her door in order not to miss any pearls of wisdom falling from his or her lips, to watch how your teacher conducts him or herself in the street, that student would probably get very worried. But in the ancient world, to be a student of a teacher was to commit yourself to living in the same atmosphere and breathing the same air. There was nothing intermittent about it. Being a disciple that is a learner in that sense, is a state in which you are looking and listening without interruption. Now, 
we sometimes hear about a student who has abandoned his or her life to follow a teacher, has become obsessed even, and we are rightly concerned about that. That is unhealthy, and we intervene to set boundaries. But as we think about that kind of whole, total, unrelenting commitment to learning from Jesus, we ask ourselves, what would change about our own lives if we saw them as a constant learning process at our Lord's feet? If we were really committing ourselves, as Williams describes it, to staying in our Lord's atmosphere, looking and listening all the time, what would be different about how we live? How closely are we modeling the way our teacher treated people? How often are we speaking up for justice in the way Jesus did? or choosing to spend our time with the people Jesus chose. To be a student of Christ doesn't mean that we just listen once in a while and then we go off and think about what we heard and what we might someday do with it. Being a disciple is urgent. It means putting ourselves close enough to Jesus all the time that we can be changed. Now, the idea of following is different for us from how it was for early disciples, because our Lord is no longer physically walking the earth from village to village, and following for us doesn't mean following him from place to place in the same way. But for early disciples, the ones we read about this morning, the student life meant going where Jesus was and leaving their lives behind to do it. The pattern starts with the prophets, in fact, in the story from 1 Kings we just heard, Elisha is called to succeed Elijah, and to do so, he has to leave his livelihood and his family. When Elijah calls him, Elisha's in the middle of his workday. He's plowing his field. Elijah comes up and physically marks him with his call, putting a mantle on him. And in that moment, Elisha has to decide Will he keep doing what he has been doing, or will he do what he is being called to do? He answers the call, slaughters his oxen, feeds his family, and then leaves them for a new way of life. It was the same with Jesus' disciples. One of the most dramatic examples is the call story when Jesus comes up to Peter and Andrew. They were fishermen. And they were in the middle of their work day, and he says to them, come and follow me. Now, I'm always amazed by the fact that Peter and Andrew don't ask any questions. They don't negotiate. They don't ask for an itinerary or a benefits plan. They don't even finish pulling in their nets with the catch of the day. They put them down, and they go. For early disciples, following meant leaving their jobs and homes and families and physically walking with Jesus on the journey that led to Jerusalem. They had to. Jesus, as our teacher, didn't have a classroom or a lecture series or office hours. He didn't email, as teachers do today, to answer students' questions. There was no podcast to catch up on his remarks if you missed a session. Jesus was a teacher on the move, a teacher without a home, as we heard 
in Luke's gospel this morning. He went out to the places where the good news needed to be shared and where people needed to be taught. So to learn from him how to carry that same good news after his death, the disciples had to commit their whole lives. Today, we don't have the same dynamic of a teacher going from town to town or sending us ahead to see if he can find a place to sleep or eat for the night. There's no one coming up to us in our workplaces and saying, follow me, put down what you're doing and come. But scripture brings us that call. It won't mean, probably, walking away from nets or slaughtering oxen, but it will mean making a commitment of our whole lives without any qualification. There's a pattern in these stories and lots of other stories in the Bible of disciples being called and then hesitating in some way before they say yes to the call. Or we might think of this as negotiating their terms before they say yes. Elisha, as you heard, was working at the plow. Elisha knew what it meant to receive his mantle, and he stopped and went after Elijah, ready to say yes to the call, but with the hesitation that he wanted to go and kiss his family goodbye first. It's the same in the story of Jesus and James and John on the road. After they have not been received in Samaria, they're walking, and they meet three different people. We might think of these three men as would-be disciples or prospective disciples. The first one actually volunteers for the job. He says, I will go with you. I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus tells him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, if you're going to follow me, says Jesus, be prepared for a life that depends on the hospitality of others. Be prepared to put your own comfort aside. Now they meet a second man, and Jesus says to this one, follow me. The second man asks to go bury his father before he makes such a big life change. Jesus pushes back, let the dead bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, there's some debate about what's happening in this scene, whether the man's father has already died or not, but most scholars agree that this is actually something more like the second traveler putting Jesus off. So his father hasn't died yet. What he's saying is something like, someday when my father has died, someday when I've gotten his inheritance, someday when I'm more established, then I can follow you. Today, this might be, when I've finished this project, when I've gotten the promotion I'm working toward, when my kids get a little older, when I've saved up some money, when I retire, then I'll have time to focus on discipleship. A third man steps up on the road, but his volunteering comes with his condition up front. I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Like Elisha, the man is willing, but like Elisha, he's hesitant to leave. 
Jesus responds to him with an echo of the story of Elisha and says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This way of life is your future, so do not root yourself in the past. I have to say, these responses from Jesus seem a little harsh, don't they? Nod your head if you think Jesus took a really hard line here. Is it so much to ask that someone would say goodbye to their loved ones? Would it have been so bad for these folks to take some time before making such a big change? Isn't that just good planning? But we hear this dialogue through the lens of our own time where we negotiate everything. Every time we make a decision, big or small, we weigh our options, we assess our risks, and we decide how much we're willing to commit and how much we will hold back. What we're doing is setting and reflecting our priorities. We're willing to spend or give X amount, but no more. We can commit this much time, but if it demands more, it will take away from something else we value. When we are asked to do something, we decide how important it is to us, and we say yes or no based on our priorities. And very often, like all the disciples we met this morning, we say a qualified yes, a yes with a condition. I will do this, but only if it fits in my schedule. I will come, but I can't stay long. I will participate but only once in a while. My answer is yes, but I cannot make an all the time commitment. Now, Elijah and Jesus are not saying to these would-be disciples that they should not care about their families or that it's anything but just human nature to wanna to look back when you're facing something new. But what they are saying is that the life of discipleship demands more than a conditional yes. Committing to a life as a follower of Jesus cannot just be one commitment among a lot of commitments. We can't slot it into our busy lives after we've taken care of pressing matters. It has a fundamentally different quality. Even in the face of good priorities, this priority is the very most important. The life of discipleship cannot be negotiated to meet our terms. Jesus doesn't ask us to come follow when we freed up some time or when we finished other things. He doesn't ask us to add him to our list of priorities, but to make following our only priority. For us today, being disciples probably won't mean that we quit our jobs or leave town or walk away from our families and our responsibilities, but today's texts call us to look at what we are putting ahead of being a student of Christ. What are our priorities? How are we trying to negotiate so that we follow Jesus on our terms? Are we putting it off for a more convenient time? Are we prioritizing achieving some success or wealth first? Are we compartmentalizing faith as a Sunday exercise that doesn't touch our work week? Are we preserving our own comfort ahead of a call that will sometimes make us uncomfortable? Or 
Are we willing to learn from Jesus and be changed, to go where he went and spend time with the people he chose? Are we willing to be witnesses to love and justice, even when it means getting out of our comfort zones? If you're like me, the answer to these questions is usually a qualified yes. I will follow if I can, if I have time, if I have the nerve, if it doesn't put me in a tough spot. So perhaps this morning, the word that cuts through the noise of today is simply the call to make the commitment to a life as a disciple without qualification, not to negotiate for our convenience or comfort but to commit to our Lord all the time with our whole lives. To make this life of discipleship our priority and to pay attention to how our teacher treated people, maybe especially people we don't know, people with whom we don't agree, people we don't already think of as our sisters and brothers in Christ because Jesus taught us to love them all. The Word of God this morning calls us to attend to our discomfort and when we're making choices to avoid it and when we're ignoring that voice that tells us that something we see around us is not compatible with our Lord's teaching. Maybe you've seen it in a work setting where one person's success has come at the expense of another. Maybe you've seen it or hesitated to live as a disciple in a context of people where one person speaks out with offensive and disrespectful comments and no one says anything because we don't want to risk making it awkward. Maybe it's in the public square when we see that God's children are suffering, some languishing in refugee camps, some living in fear of violence, some sleeping on concrete sidewalks, and on the floors of detention centers. Though we want to be disciples, we are uncomfortable speaking up even about these situations that are antithetical to the gospel because we don't want to risk ourselves. We would prefer for our discipleship to start at our comfort level, on our terms, and on our schedules. But as we just sang, Today, we all are called to be disciples of our Lord all the time and with our whole lives. So may our Lord Jesus Christ call us again and show us how to follow. And in the words of that old hymn that I love that is not in our hymnal, may we decide to follow Jesus. The world behind us, the cross before us, No turning back. No turning back. Amen.
Friends, our Lord still calls. May we use the faith we found to reshape the world around. And as we go out from this place to be lifelong students of our Lord Jesus Christ, may we go with the knowledge that the love and peace and grace of our Lord go with us today and forever. Amen.